In today's episode, we discuss the word family. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Before we get started in today's topic, let me remind you to go and check out EdenHollow.com. This is the company I started to start publishing some Bible study guides and spiritual books, but we're starting to branch out into some fiction and even talking to some other authors. We'd love to have you check out what's going on at EdenHollow.com. Now let's jump into today's episode. Ryan Boyer is an old friend of mine. He is the father of three wonderful kids and the husband to Becky, another old friend of mine. And they are living in the St. Louis area, working with the Ellisville congregation there. Ryan and I met in college, and he has always impressed me with the sincerity and the seriousness with which he takes his faith. He is absolutely one who wants to serve God and love God with every fiber of his being. And you see that in the way he talks about church and family and what our responsibilities are to the church because they are our family. I think you'll be impressed with some of the things he has to say, and it will challenge you in a way that maybe will cause you to approach the people you worship with in a more serious and sincere way. Let's jump right in. Okay, we're going to talk about family, which is a little bit of a different topic than what we typically do here on Preach Impediments. We normally are doing big words that are hard to understand. Today, we're doing a simple word, but in a context where it is hard to understand. So we're going to talk not just about family in the sense of mom, dad, and children, but we're going to talk about family in the sense of the church family uh, the idea of God's people being brought together into a close-knit set of relationships. So uh, give us sort of a definition of how you understand the Bible teaches the church as a family. I looked at the Webster definition, and I got three different definitions here. A social group made up of parents and their children. Well, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it does for Christianity too, right? Because there's no metaphor in the Bible that describes our relationship with God or his relationship with us and our relationship with each other more than family. Mm-hmm. And so there's the idea of, we say, God is our father. That's family language. And you are my brother, and that's family language. And so there you go. You've got the social group made up of parents and children. Another one is a group of people who come from the same ancestor. Uh, you could see how that works out. There's all kinds of Bible languages about the Word of God that is the seed that produces us and we're born again into a new life with God as our Father. Third definition is a group of people living together. I got goosebumps just now even thinking about it. Acts chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, starting in verse 42. And I read through that section that says what the first church was doing, and I've never been able to read that text 
without getting goosebumps and thinking to myself, I want that. I want that togetherness and that closeness and that family relationship with my church family. And so you can do some of the things that we did just now with the idea of defining a family. But I think with this subject, it's probably better to do that 1964 Supreme Court case on pornography where the Supreme Court justice said, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. And so it's not just a matter of giving a definition, but talking about some characteristics of what family was supposed to look like when God said, you are my family. And so, and that's another thing. We don't say what is family. We say what was family. When God said, I'm your father, what did he mean by that? And when he said that we're brothers and sisters with each other, what did, what did he mean by that? What are the characteristics that define those relationships? So I love how in each one of those definitions, you can see the, the biblical parallel to God's people, uh, whether it be the parents and children concept. I believe that was your first definition. You've got that in the sense of God is our father and we are his children. You know, Romans chapter 8 talks about us being adopted by God that, and that the spirit testifies with our spirit. And we cry out, Abba, Father, and you've got those, those ideas there. But there's also a sense in which even within the local gathering of God's people, you have that same sort of organization where there are elders and their children. And so the idea of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 says in verse 4, he must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? There you have that idea that the, the elder is in a sense functioning as the father of a family within the local group. And so... Again, that father and children, uh, that concept is there. I love the whole descendancy thing because that reminds me of what we often call the universal church, that we are connected to people who have been long gone, but they're still there. Uh, and so you've got that same sort of distant relationship, but connectivity involved there. And then the last definition, people who live together, Acts chapter 2, there are people in one another's houses day by day, spending their lives together because they are family. Uh, all right. of those work perfectly in the biblical picture of a, of a church. You were in First Timothy just a minute ago. Jump down to chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, If I delay, I'm writing so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, and then jump down to chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. And there's widows in the family, and this is how you take care of your widows. And then in chapter 6, there's servants in the household in the ancient world, and this is how you behave. And so, yeah, the, the family stuff is all over. But this is the thing. This is the thing about this subject that I feel so passionate about. Every once in a while, you know, you'll you'll cruise around the internet and you'll see a church that says, you know, we're a family of God's people. It's not a slogan that you put on your website. It's it's stuff that we do. It's a it's a whole 
manner of behavior and connection. And so you can talk about the church as, well, that's one, right? The church, an assembly of people. Or you can talk about it as a temple of God, and we're all bricks in that temple. Or the metaphor that you find more than any other is, we are a family. And that means something. And I think that it's worth our time to dive into it and say, what does it mean practically? What does it mean that we're a family? And what does it look like? Let's go ahead and do some practical defining, because I I think you're right. What we have whenever we talk about church as family is not a struggle to understand the word, but probably an, an unfamiliarity of what that actually looks like whenever you walk into a group of people. There have been a couple of resources that got me started on this subject, a book by Joseph Hellerman. Um, I'm going to probably not get this exactly right, but I think the title is When the Church Was a Family. And then another one is by David De Silva, Honor, Patronage, Kinship, and Purity. And the kinship part of that is really helpful for this, but what, what those books point to are some key words. What was family in the ancient Mediterranean world whenever God said, you're my family and your family with each other. So here's some key words, unity, loyalty, trust, cooperation. Within cooperation, you've got concepts like what we referred to just a second ago in Acts chapter two, families share their stuff. I mean, just think about it. Like I got a 17 year old son and my wife is at the grocery store right now and she's going to come home and pack our pantry and he's going to come home and he's just going to eat everything in one go. Because that's what families do. We share our stuff with each other. But notice, now notice this. When you talk about the different things that define a family, if I open up the emoji section on my iPhone and I I go to the family section on that, I'm going to see all kinds of things like a boy and a girl and a boy and a boy and a girl and a girl and all kinds of stuff in that emoji section. But they're connected by a heart. And you'll see bumper stickers that say that, right? Heart equals family. Well, yes, part of what it means to be family is love. And so in the Bible, you have a specific word. In the ancient world, you have a specific word. Brotherly love, that's a part of what it means to be a family. But then we got to say, what is brotherly love? We have to define that. Families suffer together. There's a responsibility that goes with being a family. And All kinds of characteristics like this probably don't have time to flesh out right now, but these are the kinds of things you need to really be interested in if you're going to say, what does it mean to be family? How far should we go with that concept when it comes to our relationship we build within a congregation of people? How far did God go to make that relationship possible? He gave his life for it. There's a good starting place. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that that's the starting place, not the ending place. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, and that's the point, right? I mean, that's that's the point is it's not a slogan on a website. Hey, our church is a family. Isn't this cool? It's it's not something that we just say in passing or in enjoy in the good times. It's really nice be a family and to love and to have all the benefits. But the time when family matters the most is when it's the hardest. I'm in Philippians Philippians 1 and Philippians 2. This is what I think of when you talk about family and especially how much you give and what it looks like practically. The number one thing that family is supposed to be, at least in the ancient world, was unified. 
And it's a matter of survival in the ancient world. Like imagine a world with no safety nets or no police departments or anything like that. Your family is how you're going to literally survive, which is the reason why Jesus said that a house divided can't stand. If you're not, this is, this is actually survival for us. It's not just really nice when we do it. And so in Philippians 1 and verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And the reason why I come to that passage, and I'm still thinking a lot about your how far do we go. There's a video on the internet called The Battle of Kruger. You ought to look it up. It's on YouTube. It's got millions of views. There's this, there's this park in, I don't know where it is, Kenya or something. Um, and uh, it's, it's Kruger Park. And there's this, uh, this herd of Cape buffalo that start getting chased by lions and this pack of lions goes for the little one, which there's a whole point in that too, right? That's where the devil goes. He goes for the little one. And they get the little one down and they're eating the little one. And if you thought that was a bad day, then a crocodile jumps up from the water and starts eating the buffalo too. And, and you're watching this video and you're thinking, oh man, this is awful. And then the camera pans over and the whole family of buffalo are coming back. And they stand side by side with one another against this pack of lions, immediately one of the lions takes off because he understands, he understands in verse 28, it is a clear sign to them of their destruction. The lion knows that. There's no way that we're going to be able to stand against this family of Cape buffaloes. And they, and they come back and the baby buffalo gets rescued, you know, and they bring it into their midst. And I think, man, that... God said in Proverbs that we learn from the ant, it's the same concept, learn from the buffalo. Um, and so the idea is, let's be unified. And, you know, if we stand by side by side, if we, if we have to go and uh, the, the concept of um, we is much bigger than me, and we're going to take on a pack of lions together, let's do it together um, for the sake of our littlest ones and our weakest ones. And you see practical unity in all of that. Later on in chapter two, in verse two, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. That word full accord there, this would be a fun word for your preach impediments. It's, a, it's only used here in the New Testament. It's a compound word that comes from sharing and soul. And so the idea is, this is what Paul wants from the church in Philippi. Share a soul with one another. You think of David and Jonathan there, right? Mm -hmm. Having Being knit together in love. Have one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. And the text goes on to say, and it's all rooted in Jesus' example and what he did for us. That's what we do for each other. So, yeah, go all the way and unity and standing with each other. That's that's it. I saw this on Twitter a couple uh, months ago, I think it was, and I don't know where I saw it, but listen to this. 
Convincing someone to change their mind is really the process of convincing someone to change their tribe. If they abandon their beliefs, they run the risk of losing social ties. You can't expect someone to change their mind if you take away their community too. You have to give them somewhere to go. Nobody wants their worldview torn apart if loneliness is the outcome. And so, yeah, you know, there's the the family that you get to be a part of whenever you, whenever you die to yourself and you're born again to the Lord. It's not a gimmick either. Like, it's not... It's not this, oh, hey, we're supposed to be this unified and close together family. And so let's all have group meetings and get together in each other's houses and all of that. Uh, there's, there's two places in the New Testament. Well, there might be more. There's two that I think of right now where the word brotherly love is used, that Philadelphia. Um, the first one is Romans chapter 12 and verses 9 and 10. In verse 9, it starts out with, let love be genuine. This is not a gimmick or a trick. And it's not, it's not pretend, you know, it's not playtime or playing house. This is actual, real life. I love my family. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. And so there's that brotherly love. The second one that I think of is 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The sincerity is the thing that I'm focusing on there. And, and that, that's really, I think, what makes this thing so hard. How do I get there? Like, how do I get to this genuine and sincere brotherly love that the Bible points me to that we're supposed to have? And I think the answer is in understanding the gospel. And it's what we've already talked about. This, this thing that we're talking about right now is, is what Jesus died to accomplish. He literally had to give his life in order to get us to this spot. And so I probably can try a little harder to be what I'm supposed to be and to love how I'm supposed to love and to be gracious with others and to cooperate with each other and to fulfill my responsibilities in the family. Like, all the way, man. I love the way he ends that. All the way, man. That's exactly how we should be with our church family. Years ago, I was corrected when I called an ATM an ATM machine because the M of ATM already means machine. I was essentially saying the AT machine machine. Well, the church as family is the same way. Church means family. And we need to start thinking of it that way. And we have a lot of responsibilities to fulfill as a part of that family. And I absolutely hope today's episode has challenged you to think about all the ways you can step in, do more, and be more sincerely devoted to those people who God has made your family. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and if so, share it with others. Let us know in the comments, both on Facebook or on the website, and you can find that website at preachimpediments.com. If we can help you in some way or cover a topic in the future that you would like to hear more about, just let us know. Shoot us an email or contact us on Facebook. Just look for the Preach Impediments page there. We will have more preach impediments on Thursday. Until then, 